Good morning, and welcome to the First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. We're very happy that you're here this morning to worship with us. If you could pass the friendship pads down the pew and sign it, that'll help us know that you're here today and also help you greet each other after the service. More details of upcoming events and additional announcements can be found in the worship bulletin. Please join us after the service for refreshments in Fellowship Hall. We'll begin this morning with the prelude. Friends, please join me in our responsive call to worship. Let the righteousness be joyful and exult before God. Sing to God. Sing praises to God's name. God has granted us homes in which to dwell. God draws us into a spiritual community. now that we may pray together. Let us lift up songs to one who resides on the clouds. Life for new strength. Let us worship God.
Please join me in prayer. We have come together, O God, longing for a glimpse of heaven. Out of the clamor and fiery ordeal of the world, we bring our anxieties and suffering to this place of meeting. Here we find others who share our quest for meaning and purpose. Here we can reflect on your generosity and take time to pray. Reveal yourself to us here so we may recognize your presence with us in other times and places. Amen. Thank heaven the God who loves us is indeed with us. But there are times that we hide from that very same God because we have things that we need to confess that God wants us to bring out into the open. Let us start by using this corporate prayer of confession. Receive us, O God, a fearful and broken people. Receive us in all our false pride and shattered humanity. Embrace us in our bewilderment and anxiety. Save us from the wrong we do and the evil we allow. Tame our rebellion, strengthen our faith, and establish your reign among us. Then, O Lord, please grant us courage to live more fully as your people. Amen. God is present to assure us of unfailing love. The Spirit of God rests upon us with healing power. God restores, establishes, and strengthens us. Surely we have been forgiven. Surely we are blessed. Rejoice and be glad and sing praises to God's name. It's a mosquito. It's a giant mosquito. I can't imagine a mosquito that big. Must have been hanging out at the beach. Yeah. This one is interesting. This one is really a caterpillar puppet. And what happens, well, yeah, what you do is you turn it like this, and you stuff the wings and everything inside, and it's a caterpillar. And then when you open it up, it's a butterfly. This is great. This one is this one is a kind of insect that should be in church. It is not a cockroach. No, those could be in church too, but it's this is a praying mantis. You you knew that? That's good. This one. Yeah, what's that? A lightning bug. 
Yeah. See, it goes, right? This is the tail of the Now, this one. What do you think? A bee. This is a bumblebee. Yeah, and you can put your whole hand inside this one. And then take the bumblebee. You know, it's a marvel that bumblebees can fly. And they're becoming rarer and rarer these days. We need some of these insects. It doesn't seem like we do, but many of these bugs pollinate plants that help flowers grow and vegetables grow. All part of God's wonderful plan to have these bugs. You know, right now, sometimes people claim that they're irritated and they have allergies because of pollen. One time, a long time ago, I discovered that plants that are pollinated by bugs don't cause allergies because the pollen is carried by the bug and not by the bee. It's an interesting thing to learn. All of this fits in as a part of God's plan. And I thought, God, it's going to be pretty wonderful to figure out we need all of these because He loves all of us. Well, why don't you hang on to those? We're going to call up the Kitzel family and have a baptism. I thought she'd like to see the baptism a little closer. Is that good? I'm going to move this a little bit this way. Pull you all over this side. This is our elder this morning, Jane Bethlehem. She's our presiding elder. And she'll begin the baptism for us. On behalf of the session, I present Harper Joy Cottrell, daughter of Alice Young Cottrell and Jay Colby Cottrell, to receive the sacrament of baptism. Know that the sign of baptism is for you, that God puts his sign on you to show that you belong to him. And will grant you his Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You find the mention of water in the Bible any number of times. Sometimes the Israelites pass through it. But more commonly, it is used as a symbol of cleansing and renewal. God receives us and forgives our sins and wants to call us to be his own. God will be putting his sign and seal on you to show that you belong to him. But in so preparing ourselves, and as you prepare yourselves and parents, we have these questions for you. Who is your Lord and Savior? Do you trust in Him? Do you intend your daughter to be His disciple to you? Would the congregation please stand? Do you, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ, promise to guide and nurture Harper by work and deed, with love and prayer, encouraging her to know and follow Christ and to be a faithful member of his church? Let us all pray. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and especially... We give you thanks for Harper and her family who comes, presenting her to you. 
May she be included in your family of faith. Help us to be faithful to the promises we will soon make as we embrace her. Now we ask that this water might be set apart from its common use for your holy purpose, that she might be signed and sealed with the gift of your spirit. We ask it in the Master's name. Amen. Want to give me the complete name of your God, Holy Harper Joy Kittle, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Would you be willing to give her some of these to get to I want you to have a chance to see Harper Joy Kittrell. I want you to know she lives in New York City. But she has some faith connections here at First Sister for Scripture. Can you make promises for behalf of the Christian Church all over to provide for Christian nurture, education, children? They might grow up and declare that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior for themselves. She is truly a gift of God. Would you all like to see Harper a little closer, too? I thought she might like that. Hard to imagine we were all started about this time. Who's going to receive her? You will, probably? Ever-living God, in your mercy, you promised to be not only our God, but also the God of our children. We thank you for receiving Harper by baptism. Keep her always in your love. Guide her as she grows in faith. Protect her in all the dangers and temptations of life. Bring her to confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and be his faithful disciple to her life's end. Gracious God, giver of all life, we also pray for parents, Alice and Colby. Give them wisdom and patience to guide their child in the way of Jesus Christ and the faith of the church. Let your peace and joy dwell in their home, that their family life may be instructed by faith, strengthened by prayer, and governed by love. Strengthen them in their own baptism, that they may rejoice as children of God and serve you faithfully. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.
Our Old Testament lesson for this morning is definitely not in the lectionary. It's taken from Deuteronomy, which is, as you know, literally the second reading, Deutero, of the law, nomos. It contains some laws that are going to make our ears burn a bit, and I think you'll understand why we move this reading after the mouse report and the children leaving the sanctuary. I invite you to hear God's word to you. You shall have a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. With your utensils, you shall have a trowel. When you relieve yourself outside, you shall dig a hole with it and then cover up your excrement. Because the Lord God travels along with your camp to save you and to hand over your enemies to you, therefore your camp must be holy so that he may not see anything indecent among you and turn away from you. Slaves who have escaped to you from their owners shall not be given back to them. They shall reside with you in your midst, in any place they choose, in any one of your towns, wherever they please, you shall not oppress them. None of the daughters of Israel shall be a temple prostitute. None of the sons of Israel shall be a temple prostitute. You shall not bring the fee of a prostitute or the wages of a male prostitute into the house of the Lord your God in payment for any vow, for both of those are abhorrent to the Lord your God. You shall not charge interest on loans to another Israelite, interest on money, interest on provisions, interest on anything that is lent. On loans to a foreigner, you may charge interest, but on loans to another Israelite, you may not charge interest, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings in the land that you are about to enter and possess. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, do not postpone fulfilling it, for the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you would incur guilt. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not incur guilt. Whatever your lips utter, you most diligently perform, just as you have freely vowed to the Lord your God with with your own mouth. If you go into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes, as many as you wish, but you shall not put any in a container. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Who can believe the good news that witnesses tell us? How shall we listen with hearts that are hardened and jealous? Come now to hear all that the Spirit makes clear, offering pardon and wellness. First Timothy 2. First of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we might lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved. Also, that the women should dress themselves modestly and decently in suitable clothing, not with their hair braided or with gold, pearls, or expensive clothes, but with good works, as is proper for women who profess reverence for God. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man She is to keep silent. For Adam was formed first, 
then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing, provided they continue in faith and love and holiness with modesty. The word of the Lord. And I'm going to rely on that lovely spirit of truth so that I can stand in this pulpit despite what 1 Timothy we just read. (laughs) Our gospel lesson for today, which is not lectionary, it's part of our partial truth series, is taken from Matthew 5. And from it, you'll hear a different translation for those of you who might remember the expression, every jot and tittle. I invite you to hear God's word to you. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Carrie. In 1969, Glenn, who really went by his middle name, Tex, Evans 
a United Methodist pastor, became one of the first people to connect the energy of youth with the deep needs of the poor. He witnessed a need for home repair assistance in Appalachia, and so he recruited 50 teens and adult workers to repair homes in Barberville, Kentucky. They worked on site during the day, spent time in worship and prayer in the evening. And by the end of the summer, four families had safe, warm homes for the winter. And 50 young lives of those youth were changed forever. Now, Tex was a student of Appalachian culture and a legendary storyteller. He set the tone for what, by the late 1970s, would become ASP, or the Appalachia Service Project. It's an organization where laughter is king and relationships matter. When I heard about it, I telephoned in 1980 and asked where there might be a place for Presbyterians in this mission work. And he informed me that nearly half the volunteers were Presbyterians. And he invited us to head to McDowell County in West Virginia. And so I rounded up six other adults and 18 senior highs, and we headed to the towns of Havoco and Welch. Welch is located in McDowell County, and among the people that I met there were members of the Muncie family. On May 29, 1961, in the little mining town of Welch, West Virginia, the United States Secretary of Agriculture, Orville Freeman, delivered $95 of federal food stamps to Mr. and Mrs. Muncie. This was the first issuance of federal food stamps under the Kennedy administration, and it was the beginning of a rapidly expanding program of federal assistance that would be legislated as the War on Poverty. I was surprised to learn that the food stamps first appeared in this rural Appalachian town, not in the inner city, which is where I thought they would have started. But even then, the coal production had declined, and the closure of the U.S. steel mines a few years later led to the immediate loss of more than 1,200 jobs just for the little town of Welch. Family income in McDowell County decreased by two-thirds. Real estate values plummeted. The miners who could left. This was where we took our senior high youth to repair homes for the mission of the Appalachia Service Project. We felt inadequate to meet the needs there. I was assigned to be the Privy Construction Specialist. Our first week there, my small team built five 
sturdy outhouses of green cedar boards. The first task in this construction was to dig a hole that was minimally to be six feet deep. We were advised to make them at least seven or eight feet. Now, this doesn't seem like a challenging thing, but if you have ever used a shovel to dig a hole that deep, especially when there's a lot of shale, you will learn that this is harder than it appears. And when you're deep in the hole, you're not quite sure how to move the shovel or where to put the dirt. Certain parasitic worms do not crawl more than six feet. So if your pit is at least that deep, you can cut down on the potential for an infection from one of these parasites rather dramatically. We had to measure the correct distances from houses for their placement so as to not contaminate any potential wells for drinking water. I quickly learned that there was a lot more to privy construction than what I first thought. So you can only imagine how, during this first ASP trip, it seemed so odd to be leading Bible study and worship every evening and to have one night when I had just finished building an outhouse, my Bible flopped open to Deuteronomy chapter 23. You shall have a designated area outside the camp to which you shall go. With your utensils, you shall have a trowel. When you relieve yourself outside, you shall dig a hole with it and then cover up your excrement because the Lord your God travels along with your camp to save you. Never before have I ever preached a sermon on this text. But back when this sanctuary was being built, a number may have started to have been preached in upstate New York based on these words. Why? Well, just a few years later, in the 1880s, indoor plumbing was becoming widely available for the first time, and churches were beginning to debate its merits. Prior to that time, if someone was at church and needed to use the bathroom, they would not only leave the sanctuary, they had to leave the building and go outside to the privy. Suddenly, all over America, people began to think that everyone would benefit if churches modernized and had indoor plumbing. But in the 1880s, when indoor plumbing was an innovation, this passage from Deuteronomy was taken by many faithful folks as the gospel, and there were sermons preached where this passage was quoted and the suggestion made that God was very much against indoor plumbing. Now, when the Israelites were in the wilderness before coming into the promised land, the Lord was with them in their camps as they traveled. God made residence in the midst of them. So according to the instructions in Deuteronomy, the Israelites were to set up an area outside their encampments for bathroom purposes. That way, the Lord would not see anything indecent among them. 
the passage explicitly says that God might turn away from the Israelites and divine blessings and protections would then be stripped away if there was any indecency. Human excrement was not allowed in God's camp. Wow, we can certainly imagine why this statute, in order to provide for some health protection for everybody. But about 150 years ago, an outhouse was outside. was outside the church building. And indoor plumbing brought toilets inside of God's house. So it was not unreasonable, based on Deuteronomy, this text, during a very different time and place, to find preachers who would conclude, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. No toilets in the church building. Now, if you were to Google, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, you would find thousands of web pages with these words. You can reduce it to a bumper sticker, discover it posted on billboards in some places. Some have even pushed a little further down the road, amending it with this, God settles it, that's it. God said it, whether I believe it or not. Personally, I think that God loves you is a more profound theology and a lot easier to put on your bumper. Well, like many truths that are only partially so, this one sounds good. Should we not believe what God says? Of course, when we Christians usually mean by God said it is that there is something in the Bible that God has said and that should make a pretty open and shut case for things. Then what makes this partially true? If we strictly adhere to what God says, I believe it, that settles it, approach to the Bible, we are going to find ourselves encountering all kinds of unusual limits on our behavior, including whether or not we should dispense with bathrooms inside. We've even suggested some of those extremes for you in the front of your bulletin. You'll find them. Leviticus 19.19 tells us that we can't have any silk and linen summer clothes. Blending cotton with rayon or nylon, unacceptable. We usually have an understanding about the cultural management of these things, but few of us ever think that these Old Testament laws should be binding upon us. Until we encounter the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. But come to think of it, Even Jesus thought that the laws of God needed to be interpreted a little bit. He didn't approach scripture with a God said it, I believe it, that settles it kind of way. On the whole, he had a more liberal interpretation of the Sabbath compared to the application of them by Moses 
who had a man put to death for picking up sticks on the Sabbath. Jesus added this insight. The Sabbath was created for humans. Humans were not created for the Sabbath. You will find other places like Matthew 19 where Jesus was even more conservative than the law. This is where he gave a stricter look at divorce than Deuteronomy 24. But on this subject with Jesus and his more conservative interpretation, we see his actions toward a woman who had been divorced five times as they are described in the Gospel of John. In that Gospel account, Jesus demonstrated mercy and compassion and not judgment. And likewise, his ministry with sinners and tax collectors reflected a more liberal approach towards Scripture and its application than was found in the Pharisees of the time. See, Jesus affirmed the law and the prophets, but Jesus' actions often indicated a very different, merciful, but just approach to what they had to say. So here's the point to ponder. Whether Christians admit it or not, we seldom actually read the Bible with the thought that God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Sometimes well-meaning folk will try to press a particular text for a strong position with this phrase as if to say, look here, I've made up my mind about this. Don't confuse me with having to think about it. Adam Hamilton, a Methodist pastor from Kansas City, Kansas, said that one of his parishioners told him, I don't interpret scripture. I just take it all as God's word and try to live it that way. So Dr. Hamilton asked him, So, um, you don't eat any ham salad sandwiches at your house? You're going to start to attend worship on Saturday? To that question, Dr. Hamilton got the response, Well, no, that's in the Old Testament. So he said, well, okay. So you insist that your wife prays with her head covered and that your daughters not braid their hair and you refuse to have anyone in your house have a savings account. And the man said, well, no. Those passages were about the times when biblical authors lived. That's not about today. To this, Hamilton replied, in other words, you do interpret scripture. You can only imagine the trouble we could arouse if we begin to explore what the Bible says about women in the church. Just begin by taking 1 Peter 3. Don't try to make yourselves beautiful on the outside with stylish hair or by wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes. Well, Forsyth Jewelers and Talbots might as well close up shop on the canal. Most of you will think that Paul is becoming a bit feisty in 1 Corinthians. There he says, women should be silent in the church, for they are not permitted to speak. They should be subordinate, as the law also says, if there is anything they desire to know, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman 
to speak in church. That makes you a little uncomfortable. Then try these words attributed to Paul in 1 Timothy. Let a woman learn in silence with full submission. I permit no woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She is to keep silent. There are Christian fellowships who continue to read these verses as though they reflect God's will for all time. And in those congregations, women are not permitted to serve in leadership or in adult education when men are present or to serve in any capacity during worship that would require them to speak. You see, we tend to pick and choose what scripture we want to interpret in a particular way. When reading these passages, there would be few in this church who would say, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. Literal interpretations of the Bible were employed in the earlier history of our country where preachers argued that slavery was very much a part of God's social order. They could point to more than 200 verses in the Bible that address slavery and regulate its practice as acceptable. I suspect that many a slave owner could quote Luke chapter 12, verse 47. That verse reads, That slave who knew what his master wanted but did not prepare himself to do what was wanted, will receive a severe beating. But Jesus was trying to make a very different point about faithfulness and being prepared and eager to serve God. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, The master will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat. And the master will come himself and serve them. That's what Jesus says in this account before the reading that most quote. That is a pretty radical image, don't you think? And what concerns women, let me just let you know, when I go home, I declare that I am the king of my castle, and I want you to know I have my wife's permission to say so. (laughs) Now, there's always interesting things in the scriptures. This past week, Carrie and I were in Princeton at the same time. She was there for her 15th Uh, class reunion, I was there for my 45th. We tended to hang around with our own cohort, but on Monday evening, we were all invited to the home of the president, Dr. Craig Barnes, and uh, he had a big reception for all of those who were back for this reunion. You know what kind of an affair it was. It was one of those kind of things where uh, they have bacon-wrapped scallops, right? Now, Dr. Barnes has two dogs who would catch frisbees in the backyard, and we found the dogs to be quite entertaining. 
They were both bearded collies. Now, to give you the image, in the 1959 version of the Shaggy Dog, the dog was an old English sheepdog, but in the 2006 version of the Shaggy D.A. with Tim Allen, the dog is a bearded collie. So I said to Dr. Barnes, Craig, what's that one's name? And Dr. Barnes said to me, Genesis 2711. Now I knew that the dog's name was not Genesis 2711. But for whatever strange reason, and I don't know how I ever learned this, I knew that verse in the King James Version. That verse reads this way. Esau was an hairy man. So I called the dog, Esau, and he came right over and brought the frisbee. We struggle to know the difference between what the Bible says and what the Bible means. When people talk about the Bible, they often refer to its inspiration. Interestingly, that word inspired only occurs one time in the Bible. Find it in 2 Timothy. All scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God might be proficient and equipped for every good work. And this Greek word is theopneustos. Maybe it would be helpful to know that I think Paul here is using the word, he has a a very different view of what was happening. See, there was a difference that he was addressing between the Pharisees and Sadducees. Paul himself was a Pharisee, and the Pharisees believed that all of the Old Testament, that means the first five books of Moses, and all of the Psalms and the Proverbs, the books of history and the prophets, were all part of God's word. But not the Sadducees. The Sadducees only believed that the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, were part of the word of God. And so Paul is saying to the church that all of these writings are inspired by God. He's trying to correct a misconception in the church. Now the Bible's words and teachings are shaping who I am, even yet, and who I hope to be. But if you're like me, sometimes you will have trouble with God said it, and an even tougher time with, well, then that settles it. Because our words change. You just think how English has changed over the last 50 years. Think about then what it means to be translating from Hebrew or Ugaritic or Greek into English over 2,000 years. For example, do you remember when hookup used to mean getting some kind of device or service or appliance up and running? Today it also means connecting with someone 
And sometimes to some people it means connecting for intimacy. Fantastic meant existing only in one's imagination. Today it means something incredible. Bad used to describe someone who'd done something wrong or something that was made with poor quality. Today, if someone says, well, that's a bad suit you're wearing, it means it's attractive. Backlog used to mean the biggest log in the fire during colonial period. Today it means a reserve or a pile of work you still got to plow through. Message me. I mean, 30 years ago when we said, uh, letter me, sell. That used to mean jail or a tiny part of your body. Today, of course, it means your phone. Awful. That used to mean something in, that inspired awe. It was awful. It was full of awe. Today it means something horrible. Something that feels or tastes bad. But, you know, it can also mean exceedingly great. As that's an awful lot of money. Well, you start plugging in what happens with language, with Aramaic or Greek or Hebrew, and then what also happens culturally, and you see we've got a real problem on our hands. How can we interpret the intent of Scripture? It becomes very difficult to take it literally. At one point, Jesus boiled everything down to two commands. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's an interesting book that's on my shelves. I thought about bringing it over here. The title of it is The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. It's written by A.J. Jacobs. He was raised in a secular family, but increasingly interested in the relevance of faith in our modern world. And Mr. Jacobs decided to dive in headfirst and attempt to obey the Bible as literally as possible for one full year. He said he thought things got going pretty easily. He said that things went well the first month, but on the second month, when he read in Scripture that he was to stone adulterers, he tried doing that. And that got him into trouble. For him, he had physical and mental struggles throughout the year. He said some of it was really simple, like the beard was difficult. Strangers would come up and pet his beard as if it was a Labrador retriever. He got his beard caught in jacket zippers that were always somebody else's jacket because he believed Scripture didn't really provide for him to have anything with a zipper. Toward the end, he raises his doubts about his return to normalcy. He said, can I now buy a banana if it isn't from a tree 
that is more than four years old. Because the Bible says you can't eat fruit from a tree that isn't at least four years old. And he writes, not to do so seems wrong, doesn't it? But every day my guilt recedes a little. Every day I get a bit more accustomed to God's concept of freedom and making choices and using scripture to guide me. God said it. I believe it. That ends it. Maybe another version of that statement might fit you better but you're probably not going to be able to put it on your bumper very well. It might go like this. God influenced it. I read, study, and sometimes wrestle with it. And as I interpret it in the light of Jesus Christ, I hear God speaking to me through it and seek to live those words as best I can. One day I was in the village, headed to the church, behind a car that had two bumper stickers on it. One said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it, under the left taillight. Under the right taillight was another bumper sticker. It read, Honk if you love Jesus. So I honked. Now with my car, it was more like a little toot. It wasn't a very good horn. The driver rolled down his window, leaned out a bit, and gestured with his middle finger what he thought about my honking. At that point, as I looked at the car in front of me, I decided that God may have said lots but not everything is settled. So I suggest at least sticking with God loves you on your bumper sticker and to live with that and to realize that the people you see around you, God loves them too. And that will settle a lot more. As we bring ourselves and our offerings to God, there's a prayer we can use. All we have is from you, O God. All that we enjoy is the rich bounty of your love poured out on us. In Christ we have witnessed your care. In Christ we have learned to share. In joy we worship you with our gifts and present ourselves for your blessing. Send your spirit once more to empower our service. In Christ's name, amen.
Please be seated, friends. Well, not only do we rejoice with the Kittrells over this morning's baptism, but we also rejoice over these past few weekends where we have seen so many college, university, and other graduations, including that of our own Miss Adina Flynn. You might remember our lovely harpist. She earned her BS and RSN at University of Rochester this weekend, so we give thanks and praise. And Deborah Fernays, congratulations to you on also earning your bachelor's degree this weekend. What a huge accomplishment. It's delightful. Congratulations. We rejoice also in the promises that God carries to us that may be simple, but not so simple to play. So we give thanks and praise for our bell choir this morning in the way that they give us great melody and harmony. We also rejoice in God's salvation and God's receiving people into the kingdom. So we join with Jeanette Henderson Harrison in mourning the loss of her mother who passed away this past week. And Dan and Jeanette today are on a plane to Scotland and they will have a memorial service for her mother this week. And uh, we'll, we'll pray for traveling mercies for the Hendersons and Harrisons as they return as well. For those of you who might remember our lovely organist, Shirley Sutcliffe, she and her husband, Ray, have been living in Florida for the past few years, and Ray passed away in these last few weeks. So we lift up to God, the family of Ray Sutcliffe. We are also in prayer with Ann Ferris for her friend, Jenna Carpenter. Friends, please join me in prayer. Almighty God, you speak and the heavens tremble. You move and the leaves of the trees shiver with delight. The babble of waters on their course of the sea attests to your wisdom and your plan for creation. We are amazed by your love for us and moved that you should send your son to atone for our sins. Lend us the necessary commitment to be his disciples. Grant that our decisions and actions may be in accord with his will for us as we seek to faithfully interpret your witness in scripture. We are in awe of the wisdom of you continually giving us how to fill us with your Holy Spirit who offers us counsel and guidance for this interpretation. You share our concerns, accompany us, submit the routines of the day, and comfort us during times of great anxiety. Make us grateful to hear your word of discipline and ready always to return you thanks. Bring life to our spirits and a sense of joy to our living. Let our days be full of witness to your overwhelming goodness in Christ. And lead us by your spirit who intervenes for us with sighs too deep for words. And help us to pray as your son taught us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Friends, please join me in our charge printed in the bulletin. Go out into the world in peace. Have courage. Return Return no one evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. Honor all people. Love and serve the Lord. Rejoicing in the power of the Holy Spirit. At the conclusion of this worship service, there will be a very brief congregational meeting here to take some action relative to the congregation's nominating committee. I encourage you to stick around for that. Uh, Those of you who really need uh, to go to the bathrooms, we have them indoors uh, here at First Presbyterian Church, and uh, there are things to eat, too. Go in peace. May the love of God the Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and the blessing of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us always. Amen. James, thank you. A lot of people wouldn't necessarily know that you had been at the consult today rather than Bruce Frank. He is paying attention to graduation exercises.
Um, we have probably a couple little things we have to change. Um, our minutes for this meeting, and they're very, very brief, would normally be taken by our clerk, our uh, clerk of the congregation, but also clerk of the session, and that's Jeanette Henderson. As you just heard, her mother has died, and she has just flown to Scotland to take care of her mother. Barb Bruins, would you be willing to take a couple of notes for us? Sure. Okay. Just on the bulletin will be adequate, I think. We'll be fine. So when we take a few notes on this meeting, we're going to indicate that the meeting was not only open with prayer, but with a complete worship service, and uh, which is required for us. Uh, to begin with, I think, uh, Dave, I'm going to call you to the front so that we can get a handle on some definitions that will probably be helpful for the congregation. Good morning. I'm Dave Ferris, a member of the Interim Search Committee and on the Personnel Committee, and give you an update where we're on the process. And I also have hired two messengers to help distribute a flow chart, John and Judy. How appropriate. Uh, what I'm handing out, if you'll share that, about 50 of them, but it's a flow chart that's fairly detailed of the process that we're going through and where we are on it. It's kind of a uh, sharp W, if you will. And so down the left-hand side, I won't read all these off, but we're down here at the bottom starting back up this way. And the very bottom on the left side of the W says, Session Appoints Interim Search Committee. That's been accomplished in all these steps before that. And where we are is we've prepared what's called a ministry information form, or in the jargon of the Presbytery, MIF form. And on Tuesday, myself and Bob McCready will go as representatives of our session to the Presbytery of Genesee Valley meeting to speak on Bruce's behalf as they accept his uh, dissolution and, and retirement and honorable uh, recognition for his you know, career as a minister here and ministry to us. And Bob and I will be attesting to that on behalf of our church. Following that, our ministry information form, which is basically telling candidates for the interim position what we're about. And that will get posted actually nationally because we want people with experience of a multiple staff church. And there aren't that many that are like us in this general community. So the person may come from outside this community. Uh, so we'll start that process. And the next step that's listed, it sounds very simple. It goes from session appoints interim search committee. The next thing is contract with interim approved by session in Presbyterian Genesee Valley. Well, we've got a lot of things to do between that box and the next box to get the candidate, interview the candidate, and so forth, and have them meet with the appropriate people and approval by the Presbytery. Our goal would be, ideally, we'd have that person coming in September at some time. That's not perfect. Uh, we'll see how it unfolds. It will depend many interim Pastors are trained specifically. We hope we'll get some of that kind of training. But they're in another position, perhaps, and their time of leaving it is kind of fluid, if you can kind of get the impression. Uh, two dates I want you to keep in mind, and we'll highlight these again, but please note that on August 27th, Sunday, will be Bruce's last Sunday preaching to us. And I think it's going to be a great time for a turnout and uh, hear his last sermon for us to highlight his ministry with us. And then on September 10th, that's a Sunday, not Labor Day weekend, the Sunday after. When we have our normal church celebration, picnic, and opening, that will be the Sunday that we will acknowledge Bruce's farewell and it's our celebration 
and a service specifically built around that and recognizing Bruce having been here in Marfa. I should add, uh, as he said, he's a king because she told him so. Uh, so I want to give due credit where it is. So mark those dates, August 27th and September 10th. And we really look for a large turnout. And please pray for a beautiful sunny day. Uh, where we're heading to after this interim process with our committee, we're a committee of the session. And the person we hire will be a contract person called to this church, not by the congregation, but it will be approved by the presbytery. We have an appropriate candidate. After Bruce's retirement, we'll start a process, what's called a uh, pastor nominating committee. You'll hear the term PNC. That body cannot be formed until after Bruce's retirement at the end of August. And that committee is nominated by our nominating committee, which is a committee of our congregation. And that committee, and the nominating committee, will come to our congregation with the slate of candidates for that pulpit nominating committee. So those who are interested, uh, Betsy Wilson is the chairman of the nominating committee. You'll hear other members of it. I think we're going to brief election of an additional member to it. And that's the group to reach out to, and it'll be their task to look at the talents of the group, the diversity, what we need on this group is very important. They will then start a fairly involved process of a mission statement for our church in part, and then they will prepare at some point a ministry information form which would be more, it's the same form that we've just gone through, but it'll be a fresh look at it with this mission study and vision of, of who we are, where we're going. And so we know what we're seeking in terms of our next senior pastor. So I'm going to stop there. I'm happy to take any questions. I don't want to keep people. And any questions, you're welcome or afterwards in the coffee hour. Thank you. Thank you, David. We had learned that there was some confusion about the difference between an interim pastor search committee appointed by the session, the congregational nominating committee, which elects officers, elders, deacons, and trustees, and the um, pastor nominating committee, which goes looking for a new pastor to call by the congregation. So that's hopefully a, a, a little easier to understand that. I was looking for Betsy Wilson, I don't see her here, uh, who had a couple of names. Sam Wang, you are on the nominating committee. Are there not names that we need to receive to elect to the nominating committee? Okay. Um, Carrie, are you pulling out your phone? Yeah. Sam Testa? Okay. Let's that's a nominating committee report. Does that sound right, Sam, that Sam it's Sam Testa? then I would need a motion for that. to She be elected to the nominating committee, not the pastor nominating committee. Anybody object? We have done it by unanimous vote. Okay, Claire Van Arsdale. 
Motion for Claire Van Arsdale. I heard the motion, the second. Any objection? Claire, you're right over here. Yeah, it's good. And that's approved as well. I believe that we have concluded the business for this meeting, which means that we would need to have a motion to adjourn. Anybody object to that? Then we shall adjourn with prayer. Lord God, we give you thanks for this day and for the blessing of it, the opportunity to worship. We pray for the leadership of this country. We pray for our congregation. We pray for those people who find their lives enmeshed in poverty. We pray for those who have lost people they love, like Bill Reinhardt, who lost his mom yesterday. We ask that you will send to them your Holy Spirit and Comforter. Now take us safely to our homes. May we enjoy this Sabbath rest. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.